night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Great to have you along as we kick off a Wednesday night here on Beyond Reality. And we'll be talking about the topic that started it all for me and us and the show, and that is, of course, ghosts. John Russell will be our guest. He's got a new book out. And we'll be talking about that new book. He was here just a few months ago. And we were talking about his first book. That first book, of course, was called Writing with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. The new book is called A Knock in the Attic. And we'll have fun talking about both of those things. Plus, he's a psychic uh, and a paranormal investigator. So we'll have an opportunity to talk about all of his work as the uh, show continues tonight. So looking forward to all of that, of course. Thanks for being here. Good to see everybody in the chat room. It's always nice to see familiar names and faces scrolling through there. So hello, everybody who has joined us in the chat, which is, by the way, in the YouTube stream, if you're interested in joining the chat room. A lot of great conversation and insight in that chat room. And if you want to participate, you've got to go to the YouTube channel and find the live YouTube stream, and you can chat there. Just go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson, and please make sure you subscribe. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Great to have you all along with us. And we're really excited, actually, to uh, have uh, a returning guest here tonight, John Russell, good friend of ours, author, paranormal investigator, researcher, and psychic. His new book is called A Knock in the Attic. The book we had him on uh, talking about previously was called, or still is called, Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. John, welcome back to Beyond Reality. Real great to have you back. JV, I appreciate it. It's great to be here again. It's always an enjoyable time with you. And I'm looking forward to tonight. I don't know if you heard the opening at all, but um, I was talking about the video that's kind of gone viral of uh, the, I guess it's an attorney, having uh, um, some type of conference via Zoom, which is our new reality these days, uh, given the COVID situation. And in that video, he had a filter on where he appeared as a cat. Did you happen to see that? I did not. Oh, you have to, you have to find because this is this this is a really poignant moment uh, for a lot of us because the thing it was just hilarious to watch. But the other thing that was very funny about it was that he was saying uh, to the judge, he said, "I'm not, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to turn this off. I'm trying to have my daughter help me." And isn't that the way that the kids, the younger generation, knows how to work all this technology? And the rest of us are kind of losing our minds trying to figure it out. Isn't isn't that the way? Uh, that's hilarious. I'm, I'm going to have to find that one. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it's really it's really worth checking out. It gave me such a <laughs> chuckle, and I've been holding on to the story for two days to talk about it tonight. Anyway, what's been going on with you? You're writing books. You're doing stuff. What's happening? Oh, man, it's great. I You know, I, I maintain a worldwide clientele. Uh, you know, people call me for, for psychic readings. And uh, as we discussed, my first book, Writing with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, we talked about that the last time I was on the show. Now I have just released, yesterday as a matter of fact, it, it was actually published and became available on Amazon, the new book, which is um, A Knock in the Attic, and even more true paranormal experiences. This one is kind of a prequel, actually, to Writing with Ghosts, and that it takes me from my childhood, when I had my very first paranormal and psychic experiences, all the way up through adulthood, and uh, to the point of fact where I became a professional psychic paranormal investigator, and uh, right up to the point that writing with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead begins. So A Knock in the Attic, that's out, available now at Amazon. 
uh, people can go to a knock in the attic.net and uh, from there they'll find all the information they want to about the book and the link to uh, to buy it at Amazon and then on top of that I'm in the uh, process of writing a third book now wow. so wow. that'll come out hopefully around the end of the year and it's going to be a lot of fun uh, 20 ways to increase your psychic abilities my wife calls it a psychic toolbox you can kind of reach in and take out what you need so uh, so that's in the works now as well so as far as as far as a knock in the attic goes, I mean the the phrase "hot off the presses" is pretty accurate here. Yeah, exactly. It just it just became available yesterday, literally, and uh, so I'm really excited to have it out and uh, and uh, looking forward to see what happens with it. And it's gotten some really good pre-publication reviews. Uri Geller also gave me an endorsement for this book as well, and uh, it's had some real good early um, early reviews, early comments. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it does as well, and I know people are going to enjoy it. So is this book, um, and, and I guess it would be true with, with, with uh, the first book we talked about, Riding uh, with Ghosts, uh, these are your experiences, right? These are exclusively my experiences, yes. Uh, the uh, With Riding with Ghosts, that was a very narrow time frame, about a year or two, uh, during which I had uh, a ton of really incredible paranormal experiences that were specific to my motorcycle rides. Yeah. And there's a few detours along the way in that book, a few flashbacks to my youth and this, that, and the other. But uh, uh, for the most part, it was uh, concerning the, uh, the experiences with the motorcycle rides. Uh, with that book, again, you don't have to be a biker to enjoy it or to get it. You don't have to know anything about motorcycles. You don't have to like motorcycles. It was I've been a motorcyclist my entire life, and it was just very bizarre and very unique and wonderful experiences that were specific to my motorcycle rides. Uh, with a knock in the attic, these are ex- my experiences beginning again from when I was a kid, coming on up into my teenage years. And a lot of it in this book, JV, I hit the high points, the high spots, because nobody wants to know every single detail about from when I was 10 to when I was 11, then I was 11, then I was 12. You know, that, right, right. I, would, I would throw the book in the trash. It'd be ultra, uh, ultra boring. So uh, this is uh, the high spots along the way of my growing up and uh, as many of the more dramatic paranormal experiences as I could recount to people in this book. You know, like I say, I've had well over 800 uh, paranormal experiences in my life. Some of those, uh, some people might think are very mundane or whatever. I don't. I think any communication from the other side is significant. But uh, you, you don't want to have a book full of them. So... Uh, this uh, this necessarily hits the high points of uh, the more melodramatic, the more incredible paranormal experiences. And man, there are some in there, let me tell you. Why do you think you've been fortunate enough, and I'll say fortunate, not everybody would agree that it's fortunate enough, but why? Right. I'll use that phrase. Why do you think you've been fortunate enough to have so many experiences? I have been fortunate to, to have these experiences. It's been a blessed life, an incredible life. And the only answer I have for that is why can I sit down at the piano and play chopsticks, and then Harowitz could sit down at the piano and move us all to tears with his incredible gift. Yeah. Uh, you know, why does one person get this and another person doesn't? Why does one person have the ability to run the marathon and the other person has the ability to sit down with a spreadsheet and make sense out of numbers? So it's, it's just a gift, and I don't know why I was singled out to have uh, this gift and these incredible amount of experiences. I don't know. I, I, it's just purely a gift, and I'm really, really grateful for it. I'm really grateful that I've had the opportunity, 
and uh, for the things that it's brought me and, and the experiences I've had because of it. But like I say, it's it's just, just a gift. You know, I, I certainly agree that it is a gift, but um, it also, especially in the, uh, the, the um, examples that you offered to kind of compare it here, uh, there was a lot of work involved, too. Would you say that in your path that led you to all these experiences, some of that is a result of the fact that you worked at it? Absolutely, because it's just like if you have someone that's born with all of the necessary physical and biological capabilities to become a world-class champion sprinter, for example, uh, that person can't lay around and eat snacks all day and watch TV and go out on the track and win win events, win medals. Uh, Whatever talent or capability that you have, you have to enhance that. You have to work at it. And that's what I did my entire life. I began studying uh, in depth and very seriously when I was about 12 years old. And I've read everything I could get my hands on. I've studied, I've experimented, I've uh, made myself aware of uh, all the new uh, philosophies and religious uh, things, spiritual things as they've come down the pike. And what I have done to enhance my gifts was to investigate all those things, see what worked, what didn't. And then I applied that to my own self with my own gifts when I was giving readings to clients or when I would receive things for myself and say, okay, does this pan out or or does it not? And so with the process of study and practice and asking people for honest feedback uh, over the years, like, for example, with my psychic readings, clients have told me that I'm 80 to 90% accurate in both my insights and my predictions for their lives and in what comes true in their lives. So that's really astonishing and that's really great. Uh, If I'm accurate 90% of the time, I'm still wrong 10% of the time. No psychic is 100% accurate, and you have to realize that. But uh, being 90% most of the time, that's pretty darn good, I'd say. I'm pretty happy. With yeah, that is, that is pretty good. And again, as you described this process to, to me, you said you read everything that you could get your hands on to learn about it. Do you feel right. this is more of an academic pursuit, or would you say that you also had to strengthen yourself, you know, to, to, use, the, to use a metaphor, uh, work out, if you will, your spiritual side to uh, open yourself up to these experiences? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I had to open myself up to these experiences, and I had to work out that spiritual side, and I had to uh, pay particular uh, attention to that. It's not just enough to read about things. Then you have to allow yourself to experience those things or to investigate those things and to, uh, to see. You know, this would keep a lot of people out of trouble if they'd do that. You know, does this work or does it not? And if it does work, what you know, what success rate do you have with it? and so on and so forth. But, yeah, you have to open up. It's like our, our conversation about people with, uh, you know, that are, are skeptics, and uh, they're not skeptics. They're just naysayers. Yeah. If they were skeptics, they would be like, okay, well, show me, you know. And uh, so you have to be willing to open up to the other side as it presents itself to you, and then you can dig further into that, delve further into that, research it more, and say, okay, what's happening here? Where are we going? What can I learn from this? How much further can I go? Uh, but it is a process, and it, it disturbs me a lot to see people, you know, they've read a book on reading the tarot cards, and now they're a professional psychic and the website, and they charge people and all this. It's like, it takes a lot more than that. I, I promise you, it takes a lot more than that. What do you say to somebody who would call themselves a skeptic, but as you aptly pointed out, they're probably more of a naysayer? What do you tell somebody like that? 
you know, you can present the evidence to them because there is plenty of evidence out there. People that say that there's no evidence, just like people used to say, well, there's no physical evidence for UFOs. And the late Stanton Friedman used to say there's an embarrassment of riches yeah. of physical evidence about UFOs, and there is. And there is credible evidence uh, that psychic phenomena is real, that the other side is real, that spiritual communication is real, psychic readings are real. There's a there's an abundance of evidence for that, but um, there are people that, for whatever reason, uh, will ignore it, will denigrate it, will downplay it, will say, well, you know, I can... I can duplicate that as a magician. The Amazing Randy comes to mind, uh, the great naysayer himself, the yep. late uh, Randy that uh, made it his life's mission to destroy Uri Geller. And, <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I had, as a matter of fact, I was on a, a radio show many, many, many years ago when I still lived in New York, and uh, the, the host that uh, I was a regular on that show, and the host happened to snag Randy as a guest. And so I told him, I said, listen, I want you to ask Randy a question for me. I had seen this demonstration on, on TV where Randy was challenging various psychics, and this one psychic was able to tell him everything about this particular object that Randy gave him to tell him the history of. He was able to successfully tell him and accurately tell him everything about this object, and then he hit this, um, the guy said, uh, I see the person that... Uh, they gave you this. He's wearing something, and it's like a almost like a clerical collar around his neck. There's something around his neck. So Randy had agreed that every single thing that the psychic had said, like five, six, seven things up to that point, and Randy had agreed that all of those things that the psychic said were accurate. He could not have known by any any methods that this was something that no one would know the history of, mm-hmm. and so that those things were accurate, but. Uh, when he said the thing around the neck, Randy discounted it because he used the word clerical. He said it reminds me of like a clerical collar. And so Randy said, nope, you're wrong. And what it was was the guy that had given Randy the gift was in the habit of wearing turtleneck sweaters. Mm. So in a, in a vision, you could say, well, it's kind of like a clerical collar. There's something around the neck here that I see. And so because he said it that way, Randy said that he was wrong. And Randy's comment was, uh, when questioned by the radio host, if one thing's wrong, it's all wrong. So that's the that's the mindset. Yeah, all or nothing in this business seems a little exactly. harsh. Um, exactly. Is that the way he judged all people who yes. presented themselves to him? Yes. Wow. Uh, it, it didn't matter if you got a few things right. If one thing was wrong, the whole thing was wrong. And uh, so that's what you run into with some of these naysayers. And then some of them are just out, outright bullies. They get on their high horse. They use all the false assumptions out there from the past and from other people to bolster their argument and to argue against this. And then there's some people that are just, I, I can't remember if I told you this on the, the last time I was on or not, but uh, we had a, a friend, uh, him and his wife, and uh, they would come over and he knew I was a psychic and he would argue that there was no such thing as ghosts, no such thing as paranormal abilities or psychic abilities. And my argument to everyone has been if they are completely honest, the big if there, if they're completely honest, Everyone on this planet's had at least one experience they can't explain right. by rational means, right. by normal means. And he told me, nope, 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 nope. So one night, my wife went over to their house. I stayed home because I was ill. And I would have given my eye teeth, JV, if I could have been there, <laughs> because the conversation turned to the paranormal. And he tells my wife, 
Oh, yeah, I, I see things all the time. I see people out of the corner of my eye turn and look. There's somebody standing there physically, and they vanish. Or I see the door close by itself, and there's no wind, no drafts, no windows open or anything. And I see these things all the time, but I just chalk it up to my imagination. Now, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. here, is, here is physical, incontrovertible evidence of supernaturalism, and, and the guy's like, ah, just chalk it up to my imagination. I was like, oh, my God, I wish I could have been there. But uh, those those are the, some of the issues that you deal with, and then you deal with dogma. Uh, you know, if it doesn't meet a certain criteria, even if it's real, well, it, I, I can't adapt it or adopt it or believe in it because it doesn't meet my set of qualifications over here. So in, in learning all this and doing all of this, my thing was always, I'm going to find out the truth as much as I can, and I'm going to go wherever that truth leads me. And if it destroys a pet peeve of mine, hallelujah. And if it reinforces something else, that's okay, too. I'm going where the truth leads me, and then let's let's deal with that. I want to talk about uh, Randy for a second. The Randy Challenge, of course, obviously something that, uh, you know, is... Million-dollar challenge. Yeah, yeah. kind of haunted uh, psychic circles for years. Um, right, right. And, you know, and, and he would boast that, you know, no one has stepped forward to claim this prize because they're all fakes. You know, that was his approach exactly. to it all. Yet, based exactly. on what you said of his criteria, it sounds like it would have been an, an impossible, uh, you know, uh, threshold to cross. Yeah, it was an exercise in futility. Uh, because, you know, like I say, he stacked the deck so that, like he told the, the radio host when he asked him about that incident, said, hey, you have, do you agree that this guy got all these things right up to this point? Yes. But we had the agreement that if one thing was wrong, the whole thing was wrong, so therefore, nothing. And it's like, how do you compete with that? You know, the deck stacked against you before you ever go in. So it's it's ridiculous. It almost sounds as though the guy that was out to bust, um, you know, charlatans was a bit of a charlatan himself. Exactly. That's that's the way that most people felt about it. And uh, like I said, he made his, his life's work to destroy Uri Geller, and they went to court several times and, and on and on and just tons of things. And uh, there was a lot of speculation out there that Randy either wanted to be like Geller or Randy mm. wanted to be the protege of Geller or have him be like under him as, as Randy with his being his mentor or his is some kind of agent or publicist or something. There was a lot of scuttlebutt about a lot of things out there um, concerning that. So, uh, well, his you know, his his position on all of this and and the Randy Challenge and all of that certainly gave him a lot of publicity. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He got a ton of publicity, like Joe Nichols. Joe Nichols is one of the big skeptics that came along. I think about the same time as Randy and has has taken up the banner, and uh, and these people make a uh, a profession out of uh, naysaying things without ever bothering to check any of the honest research that's out there, and there's plenty out there. You can go to Amazon now and find documentaries uh, that where people in the military, people in government, people in the sciences, so on and so forth, uh, have admitted, yeah, we've had a successful remote viewing program. Yes, ESP is real. Yes, psychic powers are real. Yes, paranormal phenomena is real. Yes, UFOs are real. And if anybody wants to look, uh, there's plenty of factual reasonable, uh, middle-of-the-road, mainstream evidence out there that all of this exists, it is all real. Um, so that's the thing that you have to, if you're going to call yourself an investigator or a researcher, you have to go in with an open mind and say, okay, show me. And uh, if there is reasonable evidence there beyond a doubt, then you have to accept that evidence. Now, you may not like it, you may not understand it, you may not uh, understand the mechanisms and the cause of it, but you have to agree, okay, yes, there's something there, there's something going on, Let's see what we can, how 
much further we can take this and what we can learn from it and how we can successfully apply it. And that's what the naysayers refuse to do. Well, we also have to take and be honest with ourselves a little bit. This particular line of work uh, does lend itself to some questionable behavior by some people. Not every, frauds and con artists. Yeah, not everybody yeah. who claims to be a psychic or, or some type of medium or whatever it happens to be actually has skills worth paying for or talking about, whatever it happens to be. How do you tell the difference, John? How do you, how do you sort through that? Well, the easiest way to sort through that is if it always works, it's fake. Because let me tell you, the other side plays peekaboo with us, and we don't <laughs> get what we want when we want it. And even with psychic gifts, like I say, my clients, I've had repeat clients that have been my uh, clients with me for over a decade or longer, and they've told me that during that time span, my insights and predictions have been 90% accurate for them. That's still not 100%. And uh, so that's the first clue. If anything works all the time, if they, you know, you pick an egg out of this basket and I'll break it open, oh, look, here's the evil in the egg, you're cursed. If that happens constantly, if any physical manifestation happens constantly that they attribute to paranormal means, uh, that's the first sign that it's a fake because the paranormal doesn't manifest 100%. Um, you can't make an appointment with a UFO. Um, so the, the second thing to look for, <coughs> excuse me, is if people, uh, one of the lines they trot out, you're cursed, I see this curse around you, you're having bad luck, so on and so forth. Listen, if you take any one of us on any given day and say, how's your day? Oh, the hot water heater just went out, or I had a flat tire and I was late to work, or me and the wife had an argument over breakfast. Oh, bad luck. Any one of us on any given day is having some measure of bad luck. Usually that's normal. Right. But these, these people will point to that and say, ah, see, bad luck, you're cursed. And then they'll offer to remove the curse for lots of money. And here's another indicator of, um, of fraud is when they get into you for thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars. And we talked about that uh, before that uh, these phonies will start out with a $10 special reading and then hook you in from there. It's, it's how much money can I get out of this person? And so that's some of the ways to tell the, the uh, legitimate from the, uh, from the frauds. And another thing they will do is insist that theirs is the only way, theirs is the right way. They've got the, the corner, the handle on the spiritual realm, and if you do it this way, you'll be okay, and if you don't, you're doomed. You know, that's that's a bunch of nonsense. Nobody has the right way. It's Nobody knows it all. So yeah, those I, are some of the things you can do to inoculate yourself. I tried to get into that curse business for a while myself. I, I offered to, uh, for 20 bucks, I would just curse at you for as long <laughs> as you wanted me to. And uh, I, I didn't have any takers. I don't <laughs> It didn't work for me. <laughs> oh, God, I love that. That's great. That's, that's the most honest thing out there. There you go. <laughs> I'm still offering, so if anybody wants to send me 20 bucks, I'd be happy to curse at you for a while. Um, there you go. I want to go back to something you said about uh, somebody that was uh, a naysayer, and you talked about their experiences were seeing things out of the corner of their eye. Now, I have this experience right here in my studio. Frequently, I'll see a man standing to my right, out of the corner of my eye. I think it's my father. Yep. I don't know. But that's that's who I've kind of decided it is. Dark-haired uh, person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I see it, and it's it hasn't happened in a while, but for, a, for a, a period of, I don't know, a couple months, it was happening all the time. And yep. it, so, you know, I keep wondering, you know, when am I going to see him next over there? But why out of the corner of my eye, John? Why is Why does it work that way? 
You know, that's a good question and one that we can't satisfactorily answer. The best analogy that I can give you, um, now I, I see things directly. I'll see things looking head on, straight on, and, and see manifestations and have experiences. But a lot of the times when people see things out of the corner of their eye, the analogy that I use is the reason that you perceive things that way is your attention is elsewhere, and so it's easy for someone, some spirit, to come into that peripheral vision and interrupt what basically is uh, an area that we all possess but that we don't really concentrate on, that we're not really focused on, and so they can find a way to kind of easily intrude upon that, if you will. Um, it's, it's like when you do EVP, electronic voice phenomena, and you record spirit voices, You'll turn the recorder on, let it play. You won't hear anything with your physical ears, but when you play the recorder back, you've got spirit voices telling you things yeah. in the recording. And so it's it's kind of like that, perhaps, that uh, uh, we don't get it directly, but we kind of get that indirect, and then that that turns our attention to focus on that. Now, I'm very fortunate. Like I say, I, I see them looking straight on. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you to speculate a little bit here, uh, and maybe yeah. you can do more than speculate, but... Um, is this phenomena a physical phenomena or a, a brain function? In other words, is it the fact that somehow, for some reason, the corner of my eye is more more able to perceive? You know, my peripheral vision is more able to perceive something that is spiritual versus me looking forward, or is it my brain that is filtering things in front of me versus not filtering things that might be in my peripheral vision? Um, I think that's. I think it's kind of a combination of both. I think mm-hmm. that it's. Um you know, we, we do focus on things and get, uh, you know, concentrated on things, and that becomes all we can deal with. And uh, in that, uh, most spirits for most people seem to find it very difficult to break that concentration or to break that focus. Uh, but the uh, the appearance of a spirit, and here's where people argue with me, but I can, I can provide convincing counter-arguments, the appearance of a, a spirit occurs physically. Uh, because they can move things, they can speak to us, uh, they can uh, they can teleport things, they can uh, they can make noises, they can open and close doors, they can do all these things. So the manifestation affects the physical realm. So therefore, I say it occurs physically. There's a, a uh, an ability there to come through from the other side and to appear physically and to affect things physically. So, uh, but as far as the perception, uh, yeah, they have to find a way to break through that focus. And that's why people use various techniques to try and defocus themselves so strongly on the physical realm uh, so that they can open up more to the paranormal manifestations. You know, people use drugs, meditation, uh, various other things to try and, um, you know, try and create the right atmosphere to make that connection. And uh, I've always been a strong advocate against using drugs for that. I, I think it hurts you more than it helps you, and it renders you incapable of making a rational conscious decision about what you're experiencing and about what's going on. Uh, there are much safer ways to do that. You know, meditation is good. Um, but again, the final analysis, my uh, biggest bone of contention my entire life has been, look, this is real. And if you're getting things that are hallucinated or something in meditation or uh, whatever, and it doesn't pan out, the predictions never occur um, you know, nothing benefits you or helps you in your life, or it's something that's just so wild and crazy and unprovable, don't hang your life on it, you know. It's 
like people receive communications from the Space Brothers so-and-so, and they build their life around this thing, and there's no physical proof for it. There's no physical evidence for it. And with me, these things occur physically. They happen. We've caught them on film. We've caught them on audio. There's been multiple witnesses present when these things have occurred around me. So what I try and get people to understand is, look, let's, let's not hallucinate things. Let's not imagine things. Let's not build our life's uh, focus or uh, direction or whatever around imaginary things that don't really happen, don't really occur. Uh, let's find out something out there that really does manifest, really does help in a significant way, and then let's pursue that. So that's, that's one of my hot buttons. Tonight we're talking with John Russell, psychic, paranormal investigator, author. He's got a new book out. In fact, it's freshly out. It's called A Knock in the Attic. He also has a book that we talked about last time he was on the program, Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, both available on Amazon. Plus, you can visit his website, johnrussell.net, or one for each of the books, knockintheattic.net, or ridingwithghosts.net. John, when did all this start for you? When did the paranormal stuff start in your life? It started when I was about five years old. Um, I had, a, uh, in the book, A Knock in the Attic, I... I detailed this experience. There was an old black ghost that came to me, and uh, he opened up the portal uh, to the supernatural that allowed these experiences to begin to manifest. And simultaneously with that, it seemed like my psychic gift developed. And then around the age of five or six, uh, I could tell people where they'd been, what they had done. I could predict their futures accurately. I could give insights into their emotions, sometimes tell exactly what they were thinking and uh, so on. So this started at a very early age for me. At, a, as fi- at five years old, having that experience uh, and, and having this portal basically open to you, so you started to uh, feel um, psychic sensitivities and you started to have more par- paranormal experiences. Did you understand what's happening at the time, at that age? Absolutely not. And the, uh, the intrusive uh, opening of the portal by this, this old black ghost scared the life out of me when I was a kid, and uh, then I I became aware of the psychic abilities beginning to grow and manifest, and I was like, what in the world is this? And oddly enough, for a long time, I I assumed everybody was that way, and as I got older, then I realized, okay, this is kind of unique. Not everybody experiences this. Not everybody sees things like I do, and uh, so on and so forth, so it was a real growth process. It was a real learning process, and... um, one I'm glad that I've had. It's been some, somewhat isolating over the years, as you can imagine. Uh, but I, I wouldn't trade it, I, and I couldn't live any other way. I, I tell my wife sometimes if I didn't have my psychic gift, I'd be living in a cardboard box on the street somewhere. <laughs> I guess. You know, that, that's about the only thing that that makes sense out of life for me and keeps me going. So, now, am I understanding this correctly? Did you film a TV pilot for the History Channel? I did. Unfortunately. Uh, it never aired, and I have a lot of uh, theories about why it didn't. Um, some of those theories may be correct, some not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and my uh, my producer told me that uh, this happens a lot in TV. He said, you know, a uh, production company or a, a channel or whatever will be all hot and bothered for something, and, oh, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. It's a go, it's a go, it's a go. Uh, we're not going. <laughs> so yeah. he, tells me, he tells me that it happens a lot, and it may be as simple as that. But um, in the process of conducting this paranormal investigation, which was my uh, psychic investigation of the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, and in the process of doing that, we went to some places where 
family members, ancestors, or, or uh, descendants, rather, uh, were still alive and in the area, and a lot of them got their feathers ruffled by some of the things that I picked up on, some of the things that I saw. And uh, so I write about uh, this experience, shooting the pilot for the History Channel for the very first time. I write about this in detail in the book, A Knock in the Attic, and tell where we went and what we uh, explored, what I saw psychically, and how we were able to prove uh, the validity and the accuracy of the things that I saw, and uh, what an incredible experience it was. It's it's a really good a really good story to read. So it was enjoyable. It was mind-blowing to stand in the places where this dramatic history had occurred. Yeah. I actually got to go into Ford's Theater uh, privately with no other tourists there. Me and the production crew went in uh, totally private, and I got to have the run of the place and get all the psychic impressions there that I could. Uh, we went to the Peterson House across the street from Ford's Theater. Again, totally private in all these locations because we had the cachet of the production company, which was uh, Atlas Media, and then we had the cachet of the History Channel, and that opened doors for us that, that nothing else could have. So we got to go in all these places with just me and the film crew. Uh, no, no one else there, no tourists there or anything. The Peterson House was where Lincoln actually died. They took him there. It's across the street from Ford's Theater, and they right. took him there after he was shot. And then we went to the, the Surratt House, we went to the Mud House, and wound up going to the place where Booth uh, actually died. And uh, to, to perceive uh, the psychic energy that was in all of these places was absolutely just, just over, overwhelming and incredible. One of the most uh, fantastic experiences I've ever had. And so for the first time ever, I shared that in the book, A Knock in the Attic. That's that's an amazing story. I'm curious, what type of things, maybe you can give us an example, or maybe we should read it in the book, but uh, what type of things did you sense and see and come across that would have upset descendants of Abraham Lincoln? Well, for one thing, uh, well, not Lincoln's descendants, but uh, uh, the descendants of, like, Dr. Mood. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there I saw that I didn't accuse Mudd of being necessarily complicit, uh, Dr. Mudd, but I, it seemed very odd to me. I couldn't buy it. You know, all the Mudd descendants say that he was innocent. And what most people don't know was Mudd was tried by the federal government, and he escaped the death penalty by one vote. Wow. And then he was, was banished to prison, and um, his name has never been cleared, even though the family has petitioned for his name to be cleared. And one of the things that I saw there was that Mudd had to know who Booth, uh, who Booth was. John Wilkes Booth, according to our Lincoln experts that we had also on the show, on the pilot, uh, was the Tom Cruise of his day. That's how popular he was. And so everybody in the area would have recognized him. A lot of people, you know, away from the area would have recognized him. That's how, how popular he was at the time. And the interesting thing is that uh, Dr. Mudd had had at least two meetings with Booth prior, one during which he went up to Booth's a hotel room and had drinks with him, and they discussed supposedly land and horses. And then, um, so Booth, after he had assassinated Lincoln, was on the run. He knew where to come to, to Dr. Mudd to get his, he had broken his leg, and he came to Dr. Mudd to have his leg set. And then Mudd said that uh, he didn't recognize Booth, didn't know it was him, and yet he was able to give uh, the uh, the officials uh, exact details 
of Booth's height and weight and how he looked and everything. He was able to describe him to a T. And so I just couldn't buy that uh, that he, you know, he may not necessarily have been in on the plot, but I, I couldn't buy that he didn't know who Booth was and uh, and so on and so forth. So and there's a lot that uh, that lines up in history with that. But like I say, that rankles the uh, the feathers of the descendants uh, that maintained uh, Mudd's innocence. So there were a lot of instances like that. Uh, now, just just to be clear about this, because I don't I don't know the history uh, as well as I probably should. But are the descendants of Samuel Mudd saying that he he did in fact treat John Wilkes Booth? They didn't know who he was, or are they saying right. he didn't treat him? No, they they acknowledged that he treated him, but they just said that he didn't know who he was. I see. In spite of the fact that Mudd was able to turn around and give all these uh, accurate details and describe Booth to a T, and the fact that he had met the man. A couple of times before, they maintained that uh, that Booth came in disguise, uh, but yet Mudd described to the authorities the exact appearance of Booth without being in disguise. So uh, that's that's one of the things. And then uh, we went to the uh, Surratt House. Uh, Mary Surratt was the first woman uh, hanged by the government for her part in the uh, the Lincoln assassination plot. And while we were filming there, the uh, docent was giving me these really odd looks. And so during a break in filming while we were setting up in a different room, I just grabbed her and I said, hey, can you come here and let me ask you something? And we went into one of the vacant rooms there, and I said, uh, let me ask you something outright and be totally honest with me. And she said, okay. And I said, now all of these things that I'm picking up psychically and saying, uh, in your honest opinion, accurate, inaccurate, mixed, what? She said, oh, man, she said, you're, everything you're saying is just blowing me out of the water. It's like it's it's got to be accurate. It's like it's it's really, really incredible. And I said, okay, well, you've got this really funny look on your face when I'm saying these things. Why? And she said, well, there are a lot of descendants still in this area, and if I go on camera and agree with some of the things you're saying, I'll probably lose my job. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, so those were some of the things that we encountered that were uh, impediments along the way. But uh, some really, really fascinating and good things happened, too. They had, for example, in the, the uh, museum uh, at Ford's Theater, they had a door that had a hole drilled in it, and they said that Booth had drilled the hole so that he could look in and see when the president was there and time his, uh, you know, burst in to shoot him in the head, time that by looking through the hole. And I said, no. I said, and that's, that's the accepted history of this thing. And I said, no. I said, Booth didn't drill this hole. I said he had it done. And it was done by someone at the theater, like a carpenter, workman, or whoever that would normally be there that wouldn't arouse suspicion. And sure enough, after we found the pilot, they went back and, and scoured all these history books and found that sure enough, the, uh, the the theater owner, his son, had instructed one of the workmen at the theater to drill the hole. Booth didn't drill it. And it was supposedly drilled so that uh, uh, Lincoln's bodyguard would be able to look through and keep an eye on the president. Now, Booth used it to look through and say, okay, now's my time to, to burst through the door and shoot the president in the presidential box. And the big question there becomes, which nobody ever seemed able to answer, where was the bodyguard? Yeah, <laughs> you, know, right. you would think he was supposed to be stationed outside that door, but uh, Booth was able to come up, look through the door, burst through and shoot the president. So uh, was the bodyguard in on it? Who knows? You know, there was a lot of, as, as our Lincoln expert said, uh, Booth uh, Booth held the gun, but there were a lot of fingers on the trigger. 
Yeah, you know, another conspiracy, and this obviously wasn't intended to be um, a show about the Lincoln assassination, but your experience here is fascinating, so I'm curious about your insight. Uh, One of the things that circulates now and then, and I think we may have had somebody on the program talking about this, is there's a a conspiracy discussion that uh, John Wilkes Booth actually did not die in that barn fire. What are your thoughts on that? I I feel that he uh, he did die, and and he didn't die in the fire. They had set the uh, barn on fire to flush him out, and he was hobbling around on his broken leg, and he refused to surrender, and he got up and was with his gun and was hobbling around through the barn, and uh, one of the guys from the cavalry uh, had his gun trained on him and was going to just try and wound him, but because of the erratic motion that Booth was, was making as he tried to walk limping around, uh, he shot him in the throat accidentally instead of wounding him, and then that's where Booth died. And I perceive that, yes, Booth did die there on that spot. Wow. It's it's really an amazing story. It's an obviously an important moment in history and, right. um, you know, has all sorts of folklore attached to it as well. So that that is a really cool experience. But that, it, uh, sadly, not something we're going to be able to see. Right, right. Um, as you were writing this particular book, what types of experiences did you want to include and what types of experiences did you not want to include? Of course, again, let me just remind folks um, that the title of the book is A Knock in the Attic because we had some folks asking in the chat room. So how did you filter the stories for yourself? Well, a lot of it, I had a a very disturbed, a very bad childhood, actually. And uh, I didn't want to rehash that because it's upsetting to me. And I don't think that it's something that people would be interested in reading, uh, that it that it wouldn't add anything to the book. So I just gave a few hints uh, here and there about things that were wrong with my childhood, just kind of hit the highlights of that. And, you know, like I said, I didn't want to go through every, you know, here was my first car and you know, all this kind right, of thing. Right. Nobody cares. You know, that's a boring reading. So, like I say, I, I, I wanted to give enough of my background growing up that people could get a sense of, okay, this is who this kid was and this is what he became and this is how he became it and these are some of the good experiences along the way and some of the bad experiences along the way and that shaped him and and helped make him who he is as a person and here's how the other side interacted with him and managed to keep him on the straight and narrow and protect him and get him to the point that he could exercise this gift and help other people. So. Uh, there's there's highlights, I think, mostly uh, rather than in depth. Uh, I didn't want it to be a mully grubbing, oh poor me type of thing. You know, I didn't want that to, uh, people to come away with that impression. I wanted it to be more upbeat in the sense that, yeah, he had all these bad circumstances, but look, he overcame them and has a great life. And so that's the message I wanted to get out there. John, when it comes to all of these experiences, particularly the ones that you shared in the in the book. Um, do most of your experiences occur just during the course of a normal day for you, or is it during investigations or in an effort like it maybe not a, maybe not an investigation per se, but some type of focused uh, paranormal in, uh, activity? All of the above. Um, things happen when I'm just sitting around watching TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, things happen when I'm doing readings for clients. Things happen when I'm uh, doing paranormal investigations. Um, I've had clients tell me over the phone during the reading that as you're saying things, I feel spirit touches on my body. I feel people touching me and there's nobody there. Or I had uh, 
I had one lady tell me, and this has happened a lot, and I, I didn't think about this till the other day when she mentioned this. She said, uh, she said I've heard, I heard you on the radio, and that's why I wanted to call and get the reading. And she said, this morning, before you were calling me for the reading, she said, you have a very distinctive voice. And she said, before you were, were going to call me for the reading, about half an hour before, 15 minutes before, I heard your voice speak aloud in my house, good morning, so-and-so, and say Ooh. my name. Yeah, and I've had people tell me that a lot, that they hear my voice uh, before I call them before the reading or that they get touches before, during, or after the readings, things like that. So it happens while I'm performing readings. It happens while I'm doing paranormal investigations. Obviously, we've gotten these things on, on camera, on audio. Other people witness them happening, so on and so forth. And it happens when I'm sitting around. I'll be playing a game on my computer and things happen. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm wired into the other side 24-7. And uh, I, I get these communications constantly. How how um, do we have an understanding of how that's possible? How your voice could um, be projected into someone else's home prior to a reading? Is it something you're doing? Is it something I the spirit it, world? I, yeah, I think it must be because I I will tune in on a client before I call them several uh-huh. minutes, um, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, sometimes half an hour beforehand. And I'll really focus on them, really concentrate on them, and really begin the basis of their reading right then and there. And so I'm already projecting to them, connecting with them, focusing and concentrating on them. And uh, so I think that's that's part of it. It has to be something that I'm projecting. And during my life, I've experimented with telekinesis, and I've been able to successfully do that. Oh wow! So I think this, yeah, I think this must be a, a part of that uh, capability to be able to do that. Let's talk about guardian angels because I know you've got some opinions and thoughts about guardian angels um, specifically. T- tell me, first of all, what is a guardian angel? We use that phrase kind of flippantly at times, but what is it? We do. Yeah, we do use that phrase flippantly. A guardian angel, in, in my opinion and in my experience, is a being on the other side that sticks close to us, watches out for us, protects us, and will help protect us if we'll listen. And we'll pay attention to that guidance when it comes, that still small voice or that intuition that says, don't go there or, you know, do this instead of that or whatever. Or, well, I know you're supposed to be in such and such a place today. Don't go. Stay home instead or, or that type of thing. And that's that communication coming through from that being that cares enough for us to guide us and protect us and to help us if we'll listen. And does everybody have a guardian angel? I believe that everybody does, and unfortunately for the hardcore skeptics, they're not going to hear theirs, and their response is going to be, well, I was just in an automobile accident. Where was my guardian angel? Well, you weren't listening because you're a skeptic. you know. So, uh, but I do believe everybody does, yes. And uh, it's up to us to develop our intuition, to develop our listening skills, to hear the other side, to, to listen to and obey that advice that comes to us, and to do that, we have to get still and quiet and make time for that. We can't be plugged in. We can't have our, our earbuds, our earphones in all the time. We can't be listening to music constantly. We can't be on the phone constantly. We can't be on TV constantly. It takes shutting everything down and getting quiet. And the analogy I use is that if you and I were at a party and we were across the room from each other and the party was full of people and they're normally laughing and joking and talking loudly and carrying on, I could yell at you from across the room. You're probably not going to hear me. But if everybody in the party all of a sudden gets quiet, I'll be able to talk to you across the room in a normal tone of voice. 
And so that's the analogy that I give people with attempts from the other side to communicate with us. We've got all this noise going on that they can't penetrate. But when we get quiet and stop and listen, then they can talk to us and they can activate our intuition or get through to us by our intuition. But it takes getting still and quiet, and people are so reluctant to do that. I mean, people go to the store and they buy something. They can't even look at the cashier. They're on their phone while the cashier's ringing things up. And yeah. it's like, yeah, we're constantly plugged in, and we have to get away from that and back to being quiet and listening. In addition to the fact that it's distracting, uh, it's physically distracting for people, or consuming is maybe even a better way to right. put it, does all this electronic uh, noise... And I mean that from the actual radio waves and microwaves that are coming and going from phones and and the electric magnetic fields that are you know going surging through power lines, all this stuff that's surrounding us, and now we're looking at five g is that something that is actually providing energy to uh, the spirit world for manifestation or other means, or is it interfering with it? Do you have any idea? I don't think it's interfering with it. I think it's providing additional uh, opportunities for them to utilize various means of communication, various waves, various energies. Uh, you know, back when uh, electronic voice phenomena started, for example, the only thing there was was uh, tape, tape recorders. That's right. And now we have digital recorders and we still get the voices. And, uh, you know, back in the day of, uh, like, an example of D. Scott Rogo's book, phone calls from the dead. People would receive phone calls on analog phones. Now we have digital phones, and we still get phone calls. We still get communications. And people have even reported communications on their computers. So I think that the other side is infinitely capable of adapting to and utilizing whatever methodologies there are to communicate with us. I don't think it hampers them. I think it actually uh, may help. You know, you mentioned uh, traditional um analog phones and you know that's that most people don't have them anymore they're kind of a thing of the past for the most part some people do right however one of the most uh i don't know spine chilling types of stories and i've heard a few people tell us tell this kind of a story is that phantom phone call story where the phone rings you pick it up and right. either 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 you you know hear you know some words that for, that you recognize as a person that's deceased or you know something right. like that. That is those types of stories for some reason just send shivers down my spine. Somebody who's done a lot of investigating on my own, yet that kind of story does that to me. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Or do you know anybody that has? I've had uh, two communications that way. That uh, one was a call to me. Uh, and that was from a, and I mentioned this in uh, writing with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead. This story is in there in, in full detail. But it was a, a deceased friend that um, one night, my my he had just died, and my wife and I were sitting around the dinner table talking, and we had bought new cell phones. And the old phones, we had deactivated, so they couldn't receive calls, couldn't receive text messages. The only thing you could do was call 911. I had turned mine off and put it away, and for some bizarre reason, she had left hers on and had set it on the uh, the glass side table by the couch there. And as we were sitting there talking about this friend at dinner, uh, her phone began to buzz and rattle and go off and, and vibrate all across the table, and it was the, the signal for an incoming text. And we both looked at each other and said this guy's name and said it's got to be him communicating with us. And when we looked at the phone... There was no incoming text or call or phone number or anything there. 
but he had managed to activate that phone and set it off. Now, this guy ultra-communicated from the other side. Uh, there's there's stories in the writing with Ghost about more of his communication, and he would make uh, uh, previous messages that he had left on someone's phone reappear and come in again as a new message, all kinds of things this guy did. So I had that experience with the phone, with that incoming. Um, and then I called a buddy of mine, and uh, this is in, in writing with Ghost as well, uh, I called a buddy of mine, and uh, we I, it's kind of a long story I'll make super short. <laughs> they called us the Toxic Twins. Uh, we, we just loved each other. We were drinking buddies, and they'd see us come in, and they'd go, oh, God, here comes the Toxic Twins. And we were always playing all these practical jokes, doing all kinds of nonsense. And uh, he lived alone. He was widowed and lived alone. And uh, I would wait. I would call him like I had his number in speed dial. This goes back to the old old cordless phones, and I had his number on speed dial. And I would call him, and uh, we'd talk a little bit, and I'd say good night, and then I would wait till I was sure he was asleep. And then I would call him back and blather at him until he cursed me and hung <laughs> up on me. And it was just kind of stuff we did to each other. So I had just talked to him using the, the number on the speed dial on the phone and said goodnight to him and waited a little bit. And I said, all right, now I'll get you. And uh, because he had set my lap on fire when we were in the bar together, <laughs> we would, he put a, a napkin in my lap and lit it. And I was talking to somebody else, and I felt this warmth. And I looked down, I was like, oh, my God. And I grabbed a glass of water and doused it. And he looked over at me and went, ha, ha, ha. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm going to call you tonight and disturb you. So I hit the speed dial number that I had just used to call him. And this woman picked up the phone. Hello? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait. And I pulled the phone away from me, and I looked at it, and I was like, okay, I know I dialed the right number. And I was like, uh, "Is uh, I'm sorry, is, is Bill there? And she said, and I, it should have been my first clue from the way she said it. She didn't say Bill's not here. She said, there's no Bill over here. Hmm. Yeah. And from there, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure I've got, is this so-and-so? And I recited the number, and and uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, she goes, this is John Russell, isn't it? Ooh. And I was, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um, yes. And I said, I'm very, very sorry, but I said, I, I don't recognize your voice, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure I dial the right number. And I said, is, is this a friend of Bill's? Are you staying there with Bill? Who is this? And instead of answering me and telling me her name, she would just go, so this is John Russell. And it began to get a little creepier. A little yeah, creepier. I'm starting to get the chills. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so so uh, so this is John Russell, and that's all she would say. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, who is this? And how do I not know you? And why do I not recognize your voice? But you know me. And she goes, I'm very tired. I'm going to bed now. Good night. And hung up. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. So I grabbed the phone, hit the exact same button again, and Bill answers the phone. Wow, and I said, and I said, Bill, I said, listen, man, be straight with me. I'm, I'm going to ask you some serious things. That honest to God, man, you've got to be straight with me. I said, do you have a woman there with you tonight? And he's like, no. And I said, between the time that I called you and hung up and called you just now, did the phone ring? Did we talk? Did, did, did was there anybody on the phone? No. And so he thinks I've gotten way too drunk. And I said, okay. Well, I said, listen, I'll, I'll tell you in the morning what this is all about. And, and then I hung up. But that was one of the more bizarre phone experiences I had. And, uh, and then I've had uh, 
a dream experience uh, with a phone concerning a phone number. Um, I had a dream one night, and this guy came and said that he had lived in a certain town close by there in Texas where I had grown up and was living at the time. And he had relatives there, and this was their name, and that this was his name, and I had to get this particular message to them. He gives me this message, and the dream ended with him screaming at me, yelling at me. It's important. You've got to tell them. You've got to call them and tell them this. So I wake up, and I'm like, geez, oh, Pete. So we had our, our phone book at the time, had uh, the small phone books inside, contained inside, of several of the surrounding small farming communities and things there. And so I went to where he told me that he had lived and these people lived, and I opened up that little phone book, and I looked for the name that he had told me, and lo and behold, there it is. So I'm like, well. okay, now, what do I do with this? Because this is West Texas, right? I'm going to call up, hi, I'm Psychic John Russell, and I have a communication. <laughs> yeah, who is this? Where are you? If I get my hands on you, boy, you know. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really reluctant to make this call. And uh, so I waited a day or two, and I'm like, well, you know, this guy's screaming at me in the dream. i got to do this for him. So, okay, I'm going to make the call. So I get my nerves all settled and I, I call and the phone rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and rings no answering machine no message no nothing no no uh, voicemail so I tried that a few more times and it was always that way and I called the operator and I said can you check for me and see if this number is valid and if it actually is in service and actually ascribed to these people that, that they still own this number and she said yes they do it's, it's a valid number it's in service I said okay thank you so I called again, 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 called all hours of the day and night. Never got a soul, never got any answering machine, never got anything. So I finally just said, okay, um, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry, guy. You know, I tried, I, I did my best, and and uh, that's all I could do, so I never could get anybody there. And then I had a message when I'd moved to New York. I had a message on my answering machine where this woman said that she had seen a ghost at work and had heard audibly Call John Russell. And uh, she said, so I looked you up on the Internet, and there you are. So I'm, I'm calling you to find out about this ghost and tell you I heard your name, and I'm supposed to call, and here I am, and here's my number. I call that number back repeatedly, and nothing. No voicemail, no answering machine, and it would just ring and ring and ring and ring, and, and nothing ever happened. Nobody ever picked up. So it's like, okay. So, yeah, these, these guys do manipulate the phones quite readily. Wow. Um, yep. We're going to run out of time, John. I want to a couple other quick things I want to chat about sure. before I have to let you go. But, you know, obviously you can't uh, say uh, five sentences or even two sentences without the word COVID coming up uh, right. anymore, right. given, you know, what's happening around us. How is that changing things from a psychic perspective? Are you, is, there, is there a difference in the energy? You know, there is a, a big difference in the energy because we're social creatures and we're not, we're not meant to live in this dystopian way, and it is a very dystopian way. Uh, we've been lied to so much about COVID and through all of this, and whether it's been deliberate misinformation or whether it's been accidental, it's still a, a terrible thing. And if you look at it factually, there's plenty of mainline, mainstream news stories out there that show you that you know everybody's flopped back and forth on this from one day to the next, sometimes within the same day. Right. I just saw a Yahoo News story where uh, the World Health Organization said uh, they cannot... Uh, cannot discount that the possibility that the virus escaped from the lab in Wuhan, 
the same day, another Yahoo News story said, uh, World Health Organization says, no, it probably came from animals. That, that's in the same day. Yeah. And so we have all these incidents of people uh, dying from COVID that didn't die from COVID. There was a mainstream news story where a motorcyclist crashed, died on his bike. The cause of death was, was listed as COVID. Yeah. That's mainstream news documented. Mm-hmm. Um, a reporter uh, uh, on the air personality went to get tested and had to wait and wait and wait. Said, I, I've got to go. I can't sit here and wait. And left before she got the test. They called her and said, your, your COVID test is positive. She never even took the test. Wow. Uh, so, so we have all this nonsense going on out there. Uh, we have the, uh, you know, masks don't work, masks help, masks help a little bit, masks don't help at all. Now we're three masks, on and on and on and on. And uh, my take psychically from the get-go has been that uh, it was released from a lab, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a biochemical weapon of sorts. Uh, that came from a lab. That was my psychic take as soon as this all started. Um, as far as the deadliness of it, uh, I've never seen that, uh, and I still don't. And in my psychic opinion, I'm not telling you to, to stop wearing masks. I'm not telling you to stop uh, isolating. I'm not telling you to do anything against any advice that would be uncomfortable to you. Uh, get the vaccine if you want it or whatever. But psychically, I've seen that basically this thing has kind of petered out and that there's uh, there's no real concern at this point. And uh, we see, I saw another mainstream news story on Yahoo that I was like, does anybody actually fact check these things? Does anybody read these things before they publish them? Because in this same news story, it said, we've washed our hands, we've social distanced, we've stayed home, we've worn our mask, and flu's been virtually non-existent this year. However, COVID is once again spiraling out of control. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so my, my input has been that um, it's been a huge overreaction. And if you look, you can find uh, credible doctors out there that say that uh, there's, there's nothing to this as the boogaboo it's been made out to be. And as a matter of fact, I saw an interview the other day. I can provide a link to that to anybody interested. Uh, the former uh, chief scientist at uh, Pfizer came out and said, uh, you know, look, this is crazy. We don't need to be doing this stuff. There doesn't need to be lockdowns, doesn't need to be masks, and there doesn't need to be a vaccine for this thing. It's, it's absolutely nuts. And the vaccine is not approved, by the way. Go to the CDC website and look it up. The vaccine was approved for emergency use, but it has not been run through FDA approval. It is not an FDA-approved vaccine. So, um, you know, I think that the... Uh, the loneliness that this has imposed upon people, suicide rates are up, so on and so forth. And it's just a very dystopian way to live. It's a way we're not meant to live. And I think that's taken a spiritual toll on people as well, especially people of faith that want to go to their houses of worship and were forbidden to. And uh, now the Supreme Court's overturning a lot of that. Yeah. And, uh, so, But that's uh, that's what's come about. And it's uh, I, I think we've handled this the wrong way from the get-go. I think we've made way more out of it than should have been made out of it, and we've had so much disinformation given us, so much inaccurate information given us. And uh, like I say, if you want to go out there and and really explore, yeah, there's a lot of nutcase theories out there, absolutely, but if you want to go out there and really explore, you can find some credible people um, telling you credible things 
that uh, that state that this thing has been blown all out of proportion, and that's been my take from the get go. Yeah, part of my problem with it is not you know regardless of what who you want to believe, it seemed like there was an effort to silence many who had a dissenting opinion. Um, exactly, and that was yeah. the, that was a that was problematic for me. I mean, if 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 those folks who are saying what they you know that it was as dangerous and that we needed to lock down, if they were confident in their position, why would they be concerned if someone challenged the ideas? You know, if they exactly. should be able to debate it, exactly. not silence them. And I, that's, that's true right. with any with any any controversial issue in my book. Um, sure. Let's see. I wanted to ask you. It was something else. I, there was uh, oh yeah, UFOs. I wanted to ask you about UFO experiences because you. You know, I don't know if you've had UFO experiences. I know you've you've, you've thought have, about yeah. that. Oh, t- yeah. Talk a little bit about UFOs because we're seeing a lot of this information coming forward that was previously yep. controlled or restricted or hidden completely, and it's starting to change the debate a little bit about the UFO community. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I've had uh, several UFO experiences, and I write uh, explicitly about some of those in the book, writing with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead. Uh, really incredible, bizarre experiences. One was a daylight sighting up close with several other witnesses who actually saw the thing before I did. And um, so uh, my hot button with UFOs at this point, one of the things that I begin to perceive is that, you know, we all have this idea, oh, the Space Brothers are come to help us, and uh, any civilization that's that advanced and that capable has to be benign and has to have you know, good at, at heart or good intentions or goodwill. Well, I've begun to question that, and there's two reasons why. We're all familiar with the um, the documentaries where they interview people, and this is acknowledged as being absolute truth. People in the military have come forward, people in, in politics and scientists and so have come forth. But they've talked to people that were in the missile silos when this happened, and it's acknowledged that UFOs have come and hovered with impunity over military bases where our our launch systems, our launch tubes were for the missiles and have taken our missiles offline one by one and shut them completely down so that they would not be able to be launched. And then when the UFO left, the missiles came back online. And the scuttlebutt is that, you know, look, the Space Brothers are showing us how violent we are and that, you know, we should reconsider what we're doing. We don't need all this violence and all these nuclear missiles and all these weapons and we should be striving more for peace and this and the other. Well, that's a, a lovely and a wonderful sentiment, but the other day I saw a documentary in which one of the guys that was in the silos when this happened said that when the UFO left, the missiles came back online, two were in launch mode. And they had to manually take them out of Ooh. launch mode to keep them from going off. Now, that raises a huge question. Either they, the in, intelligences, the UFO people did this deliberately, or Zork turned to Smurfle and whacked him on the head and said, idiot, you almost caused a war here, you know. <laughs> so, look, it, it doesn't appear to be all, all the uh, lace and roses like we're ascribing to this. And the other problem that I have is that we have a lot of really good, really credible, really honest UFO researchers out there. And we have had for a number of years, Stanton Friedman, deceased now, comes to mind. And there's a lot of good ones currently in the field and currently working. But the problem is they've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. And guess what? We don't know no more now than we did back then. That's a problem. Yeah. So obviously the government is hiding things, covering things up, so on and so forth. But look, here's where my other problem comes in. If the UFO people are that advanced, if they do care, if they do have a 
abilities to heal people, as, as has been reported, and some of these other things, and, and so on. Uh, why doesn't someone in that advanced group, that advanced civilization, come down and just come and say, hey, um, we can't stop the tornadoes, we can't stop the hurricanes, we can't stop the floods, but look here, do this and we can cure cancer and get all the little kids out of St. Jude Hospital. You know, why not right. some overt uh, expression of help after all these years? I've talked with Native American spirits hiking through the, the state parks here where Native American spirits used to live and have, you know, developments and things, this and the other and other people. And, uh, and the Native American spirits told me that they saw these things in the skies, you know, back way back then, all these hundreds of years ago before there was any such thing as the technology that we have now. So it's obvious that they've been there this long, that they're coming around this long, uh, and it's obvious that if they've got this technology, there's got to be something there that could be of some help to us. Why doesn't that occur? That becomes a big problem for me. That becomes a big bone to pick. And uh, and the fact that, you know, the government covers up what they know and they have to know, and the fact that the government continues to cover that up in spite of all the things that are are coming out, it just makes my blood boil, J.B., and it makes me want to tell somebody, hey, somebody that knows something, have the guts to stand up and come forth and, and let's make some, some headway here on this one way or the other. You know, if they're bad, tell us they're bad. If they're good, tell us they're good. If some of them are bad and some of us are, some of them are good, fantastic. But let's, let's put this thing on the table and let's solve something. Let's do something that can be of some help here. You know, the spirituality is fine, but it's got to help. You know, if all you've got is dogma and a book you read out of and it doesn't do anything, that produces nothing. And that's always been what I was driven to to produce in, in my gifts and my readings is something that literally, physically helps people. Um, so, you know, if, if all these intelligences are there, they're so great to have this technology, hey, help us out here, man. We're in a, we're in a bad time in this world right now. We've got greater unemployment than, than, than since the Great Depression. Uh, we've got people going down worldwide in their businesses and so on and so forth. We've got a lot of dissension uh, politically and so on. And, and uh, man, we need some help. And if there's somebody out there that has a greater power or a greater voice or whatever, help us. You know, we're we're not going to be averse to that. We're not going to be scared of that. Uh, but uh, there's there's just a lot in all of this that's not adding up. And I just I wish somebody would just would just blow the lid off this thing and come forward and give us something that we could really use. Great points. We are out of time, John. And as always, um, it was a fantastic discussion. Well enjoyed by everyone listening, I know. You are working on the third book, you said, and that is, um, I can't remember what you said the, the title was, but it is a uh, kind of an assistant, a book to assist people develop their psychic abilities. Right. 20 Ways to Increase Your Psychic Abilities. There we go. I will teach you in the book, from my own experience, things that I've discovered and learned over the years and talked to other people that I know that work. I'll teach you how to do psychometry. I'll teach you how to do your own dream interpretation. Uh, I'll teach you how to scry, how to, to, to conduct a seance if you want to, to read the tarot and utilize the tarot. Uh, tons of things. So altogether, there'll be uh, 20 chapters in the book covering 20 different methods, things that you can do. And and this is not going to be just a, a a theory book. This is a practical. Here's exactly how to sit down. Here's exactly how to begin. Exactly how to learn it how to carry it forward, and, and not only how to use it, but why to use it and what the real-world application of that becomes. So I think that's going to be a real exciting book. Hopefully I'll have that 
um, out around either the end of the year or first part of next year. And, of course, the book that just came out in the last couple of days is called A Knock in the Attic. And your first book, right. Riding with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, that's all available at Amazon, right? All available at Amazon. And uh, if somebody uh, wants a quick and easy link or just wants to find out more about it, find out more about what it is, more about me, they can go to writingwithghosts.net. And uh, there's links there to buy at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books Million. Uh, you can go to anockintheattic.net. And right now it's just come out, so it's just available at Amazon in paperback. Uh, the uh, the e-reader books and more will be coming down the pike here in a few weeks, and it'll be available through other distributorship, but you can get it right now at Amazon. Excellent. And, of course, when the third book is uh, ready to go, you're going to let me know, and uh, we'll get oh, you absolutely. back on the show. Absolutely. John, it's been great having you here tonight. Thanks so much. I appreciate it so much, J.V. It's been a good time. Look forward to talking to you again. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.